Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most violent, the most noteworthy, the most high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are examined, they are profiled, and they are discussed. For this reason, for this season, season five, the focus is on the focus is on sick, twisted, pedophile, or rapist, any type of like sex-related type of homicides that occurred in Maryland. And as I stated in the last episode, the state of Maryland, I mean, this is a weird state. We had so many of these type of homicides that this series right here, this season is just part one. Part two that will be featured later on. So with all that being said, let's just get right on into it. Now, on this episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, the serial killer Raymond Hopewell is profiled, and as in each episode, an unsolved homicide that needs attention will also be profiled. And on this this episode, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 49-year-old Yogesh Sheth. Now, you know, when I was a kid, like in junior high school, See, back then, it wasn't called, like, middle school. It was called junior high school. Now, I know I'm telling my age and anything, but <laughs> anyway, when I was a kid at Calverton Junior High School, that's, I developed my interest into true crime and, like, the criminal justice system and uh, inmates and all of that. I want to be a correctional officer and all that. But anyway, I wasn't focused with, like, the regular, like, drug related or you know the normal robbery type of killings or assaults or you know just a regular shoot em up type of you know homicides anything like that i mean anybody can i felt like anybody can just go take a gun and go shoot somebody i mean that takes almost nothing physically to do like all you got to do is just psych yourself up enough to pull the trigger or whatever i mean it's embarrassing but as a kid, I mean, it, it's weird. Even as a kid, I mean, I can remember my fascination. It wasn't with like, um, just like I said, just a regular old robbery or, you know, shoot them up or whatever. It was with the mass murderers, like, you know, mass murderers who shoots up like the whole building, like the Charles Whitman in 1966 who, you know, stood on the tower and just started shooting people or the spree killers like Andrew Kumanin, you know, who um, shot um, Gianna Pisashi. I mean, but nothing, like absolutely nothing, nothing, even as a kid, I can remember. It's, it's almost embarrassing to even say, but nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'm going to say this out loud. Nothing grabbed my attention like the modern day serial killer. Not like the old school ones like Jack the Ripper or the ones in like in the 50s before they had like real detectives or real science or law enforcement, real police or nothing like that. I mean, I'm talking about like the killers who you got to admit, you know, intelligent enough to keep killing and getting away with it. 
you know, this is before I'm the ones, especially the ones before they had DNA, like Gacy's, who even ran for mayor at one point, but had bodies under his crawl space. To this day, I won't live in a house or buy a house that has a crawl space because of Gacy. It's a shame. I mean, that's how much impact I can remember being back in the day reading his books in junior high school. I mean, they managed serial killers, you gotta admit, I mean, people hate him and all that, but they managed to easily blend in with society and the rest of us but inside they are like horridly different i mean and you never know it a serial killer they kill they kill they kill they kill they kill they kill until they are stopped i mean sometimes and more than likely the act of violence or like murder is like a sexual release to them and most serial killers have a certain type of victim like somebody that they choose they have like a particular fetish or whatever most of them do, but not all. I mean, Richard Marirez, the serial killer in California, he killed um, both men and women, young and old. It didn't matter the race or none of that. The state of Maryland has its share of serial killers too, but there is just one serial killer that stands out in particular for this particular episode because of the victims that he chose. This African-American serial killer only selected elderly victims as his target. I mean, who in God's name knows how he got this way? According to articles in the Baltimore Sun, as a kid, Raymond seemed to be normal. I mean, he was raised by his mother in Windfalls, Leakin Park area of West Baltimore and seemed to be a normal, regular kid until he dropped out of school in the 10th grade. That's when he got hooked on drugs which led him to start getting the record with charges like drug possession, intent to sell drugs, burglary charges, battery, theft, you know, stupid stuff like resisting arrest. Even stuff like this doesn't, it don't necessarily make you a serial killer. Who knows what kind of screws were loose in his head to make him just go off the deep end. And just because he was on drugs don't make you a serial killer either. I mean, who knows what made him just completely lose it and add murder to his repertoire. 60-year-old Constance Wills lived in a row home on Elmont Street in West Baltimore. On February 21, 1999, Raymont broke into her home, raped her in her bedroom, tied her wrists together, beat her, and then strangled her to death. After killing the woman, who was considered to be a friend of Raymont's family, he took stuff he could easily sell or pawn for drugs out of her house. When Constance's daughter and neighbor came home, she had to experience the horror of finding her mother dead in her home. Raymond wasn't even suspected of this murder and it went unsolved for a minute. Then in 2001, with Raymond still addicted to drugs, he was on the street trying to sell cocaine and ended up selling to an undercover, undercover police officer. He got locked up for that, got a $5,000 bail, and got released. September 2002, Raymond went to court, got convicted of a drug charge, and got two years of probation. Raymond was worried or thinking about none of that. He was thinking about his drugs. He had already killed one person three years earlier and hadn't gotten caught for it, so, you know, he felt like he probably was invincible. I mean, two months later, on November the 30th, 2002, 
Raymond hopped on an MTA bus, got off the got off at the Greenwell Apartments for the Elderly and Disabled on Violet Avenue in West Baltimore, where his mother was a resident. But he wasn't there to visit his mother. Living at the unit directly across from his mother was his mother's friend, 88-year-old Sarah Shannon. Raymond saw an easy target, broke into Sarah's home, and found her lying in her bed. Raymond savagely raped the woman, beat her, strangled her with his bare hands, and took stuff out of her house to take to a pawn shop for money to get a blast. When a relative of Sarah's kept calling her phone and didn't get an answer, she decided to investigate further. She went to Sarah's apartment and found her battered body. Again, the police had no clues, nothing. Two years later, on April 10th, 2004, Raymond got arrested for violating parole from another burglary conviction. And this time he was sentenced to 18 months in prison. In August of that same year, Raymond was doing his time at a halfway house, probably Volunteers of America on Fayette Street, I'm just saying. But anyway, when he was allowed to leave for work, like to go on a work furlough, Raymond got a little too comfortable with leaving. And on September the 2nd, 2004, when he was allowed to leave this time on furlough, Raymond just didn't come up. He just flat out ain't come back. The Department of Corrections listed Raymond as a, a walk-off and added him to a wanted list. Nobody heard nothing from him, and he became like a lot of people walking the streets of Baltimore, which is basically a dude who got open once, but on the street. Raymond blended in, stayed out of the police radar for a minute, but on May 31st, 2005, Raymond was back on drugs, caught the bus, and ended up in West Baltimore at a row home on Gilmore Street. Once there, he broke into the home of 78-year-old Sadie Mack, who lived in the Sandtown area of West Baltimore City. He did his regular MO, which is he tied her up together with shoestrings, ripped her pants off viciously, raped her, and choked her to death. Her son came over later that same day and was traumatized after finding his mother. Three months later, Raymond got off on an MTA bus and struck again. On August 2nd, 2004, even though Raymond had previously been kicked out and barred from the building for some reason, Raymond managed to make it into the Lewis W. Foxwell Senior Memorial Apartments in the 3700 block of Greenspring Avenue. Once there, Raymond broke into the apartment of 82-year-old Carlton Crawford. Carlton, who was deaf, had lived in his apartment for 22 years with no issues, but on this fateful afternoon, Carlton would come face-to-face -face with the rage and wrath of Raymond Hopewell. Two of Carlton's neighbors downstairs, they heard banging coming from Carlton's apartment upstairs, and they reported it to the security guard on duty. When the female security guard knocked on Carlton's door to check on him, Raymond had the nerve to answer the door and try to finesse his way out of it. Raymond told the security guard that Carlton had just fallen down, and the security guard was like, okay, so, you know, can I come in and check on him? Raymond was like, nah, that won't be necessary. 
the security guard, she could just feel this something. So she could just feel it. First off, who the fuck is you and why are you even in his apartment? The security guard told Raymond that if he ain't let her in the apartment to check things out for herself, then she was going to call the police and they would come in and take a look. Raymond was like, all right, go ahead, do it. When the security guard, she walked away from the apartment door, Raymond made his getaway and ran out the building on the run again. When the police showed up, they found Carlton dead on the floor. Carlton had been beaten and strangled. By this time, the anybody or people who lived in Park Heights, Northwest Baltimore City area, like I did at the time, they started getting suspicious and started worrying about their elderly relatives who lived alone. They started checking on them more, even like moving back home with them because they knew something was wrong. I mean, there was literally a serial killer going around killing elderly people. August 31st, same year, Raymond caught the bus over to a row home in the 2700 block of Mount Holly Street in Emerson Village. When 78-year-old Lydia R. Wingfield answered the door, Raymond told this woman that his name was Money and he was there basically to see some, basically to see her son, who was somebody he knew like 25, 30 years ago. I mean, he wouldn't say or give out his real name or no other information. Lydia didn't let him in and Raymond eventually just walked away. Lydia probably thought the whole conversation was weird and she ended up calling her wrong son and told him about some dude coming around saying his name was Money looking for you and he grew up with you as a kid and he stopped by, you know, looking for him. Lydia's son was like, you know, he don't know nobody named no damn money and probably didn't think too much about the whole encounter, you know. Later that same day, Raymond broke into Lydia's home, tied her wrist with a green ribbon and measuring tape, raped her, then beat and strangled her to death. I mean, that's bold. I mean, this animal could not be stopped. I mean, who would go around beating and raping old women? I mean, come on now. That's like a new low, even for Baltimore. Everybody, I mean, everybody who lived in the city was like, wow, especially because the killings were so brutal and they were so back to back. I mean, and these women were being raped. Three days later, on September 2nd, Raymond broke into the home of 63. He broke into the home of a 63-year-old woman in West Baltimore. She heard him when he was breaking in her house and she went to go hide in her basement. When Raymond got into her house and looked upstairs for her, he didn't find her. This killer felt bold enough and comfortable enough to just chill in her kitchen and drink three, three cans of Diet Coke and a bottle of apple juice, leaving his DNA and spit all over the place. I mean, you would have thought that he would just leave, but nope, this killer was determined to find her. He was determined to cause terror and fear in this woman. So he went looking for her. Raymond, he knew that she was in that house and he went looking for her. After he ransacked her kitchen, Raymond found her hiding in the basement. Once he did, he raped her at knife point repeatedly. But instead of killing her like he did all the others, Raymond left without strangling her to death. Just a week later, on September 9th, around 11 a.m. in the afternoon, 
Raymond struck again. He cut a hole in the kitchen screen door and broke into another home on Spalding Avenue in the Park Heights area of Baltimore City and attacked another elderly woman and her husband, terrorizing the 55-year-old woman and 61-year-old man with a knife. Raymond ordered them to kick out at least $150. When the wife told him that she had already called the police, he ran out. Three days before he had attacked this couple, Raymond had caught the bus cross tracks to Burnhill Avenue where he came across the home of another elderly couple where a 76-year-old woman, she was just casually getting food ready for a Labor Day cookout. Her 80-year-old husband, who suffered from severe dementia, basically, he didn't realize what he was doing when he simply just let Raymond in the house. Raymond just strolled in and followed her husband throughout the house and sat across from him on a couch while her husband sat in his normal chair. When the wife came out of the kitchen and saw some strange dude that she didn't know sitting in on her couch in her living room, she was like, can I help you? Raymond was like, I know your husband and I'm here for dinner. I mean, woof, I swear to God, y'all. I swear to God, can you imagine that? Some strange dude just like, okay, I'm here for dinner. Anyway, while the wife tried to figure out just what was going on, for 10 minutes, Raymond sat there trying to convince her that she's, I mean, that her, she knows her husband. And see here, she's talking to a freaking serial killer. 10 minutes later, the wife's niece came downstairs and saw what was going on. Some, some weird dude in her aunt's house during a time where the city was already on alert because of some dude going around raping and killing elderly women? The niece screamed at him, get the hell out. And Raymond left. Now, a day later, after Raymond terrorized the elderly couple on Spalding Avenue, the very next day, Raymond didn't forget about this couple that he had left without doing anything to. He was bold enough to go back to this house on Ferndale Avenue where he felt that he left unfinished business. And this time, the niece wasn't home. Raymond knocked on the door, and when the wife answered, Raymond told her that her niece had dropped her credit card, and he acted like he was just returning it. And then he suddenly forced the door open and forced his way in that house. Raymond pulled out a butcher knife and, and told the wife, "I am here. I am here to kill you and your husband." While the woman begged for the her life and her husband's life. This 76-year-old woman fought back and grabbed his knife, severely cutting her own hand in the process. Raymond easily shoved her to the floor, then started attacking her frail husband, who also put up a fight, despite the dementia. Raymond realized that he had his hands full this time. He just took some cash from her purse that was sitting on the dining room table and then left. The couple had lived in their home for more than 36 years with no issues before this. When the couple's niece came home, she immediately called the police. Homicide detectives were on to him. Raymond must have either wanted to get caught, didn't care about getting caught, or just flat out was tired of being on the run because he didn't wear gloves. He didn't really wear gloves. He didn't use no condoms. I mean, he didn't leave no, he, he just left DNA all over the place. He was sloppy. He was just like, fuck it, I just don't care. One of the victims that he left alive she was able to give a, a sketch to the police and the sketch was, you know, released to the public. 
after that friend um who you know he called himself money turns out that he told another friend about it and one of those friends told him that he did know somebody from their childhood named money and he knew his real name was Raymond Hooper. so they reported that to the police but by the time he was already locked up and detectives had a lot more to work with on september 20th 2005 Raymond was finally arrested and in december he was officially indicted on five counts of first-degree murder, four counts of assault, and one count of rape. Baltimore prosecutors, they wanted to bring the death penalty back specifically for him and his case. Because like I told you, it's you don't they don't play about the kids and they don't play about the elderly. I mean, especially raping and mur murdering elderly women. I mean, before they could take his case to trial though, Raymond accepted a plea deal because he was scared of getting the death penalty. He pled guilty to everything to get this death penalty off the table. And in exchange for that guilty plea, Raymond was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility for parole. At his sentencing hearing on September the 14th, 2006, Raymond did manage to say, I just want to tell everybody that I'm sorry for their losses. Hmm. Now, let me tell you something. Of course, this crime was notorious in the state of Maryland because, first off, this was a African-American, a black serial killer. Well, and his uh, victims that he chose were elderly women. What kind of mess is that? And he wasn't just like, you know, killing them. He was raping them and killing them. No, I mean, and you can't blame it on drugs. You can't say, oh, he had an addiction. There's a lot of people I know that have drug addictions. They don't go around raping and beating elderly women just to, to feed their habit. I mean, crack, you can't say that crack makes you do that. I mean, come on now. I, I was just, I lived in Park Heights when this was going on. And I was just like, wow. I mean, I did know, um, I was friends with, you know, one, I was, I was in writing books at the time. And a person that I knew that was helping me write my books and design my covers and stuff like that. She lived in this area and she was elderly and she knew one of the victims so that's how how close <laughs> you know this crime i won't say it affected me but i was on alert when uh this was going on because i did know um people that lived in the area um i've written to raymond several times to try to get into his head to try to understand what was going on and he did write me back several times i got his letters around here somewhere um, I, and as a matter of fact, I did actually get a birthday card from him one time. <laughs> um, but he, and he wanted me to write his story. I don't know. Maybe I will one day. It's just that I don't, it's just other than the fact that, uh, he didn't tell me anything differently other than the fact that he had a drug problem and he blamed all of his actions on drugs. I mean, it's got to be more to it than that. It's gotta be. And I, if you're not going to get deep enough to let me know exactly what happened to you to make you this way, it, it, it has to be more than that. I feel sorry for the victims, you know, and their families to live that, you know, to go that long, you know, without any problems or anything in your area, in your house. And for that to happen, I would never be the same. Never be the same. I can't even imagine what they went through. You know, I, I, I can't I, I can't even imagine it. And especially the families of the victims, you know, who knows what 
made him this way. Who who knows what uh, made him this way? I hear he lives a very depressing life in prison. I hear he's a very filthy inmate. <laughs> That's from what I hear. I mean, um, it's, he's not liked. He's not very much liked by the other inmates. They say he's a very depressing person, and you know he suffers from all types of you know um, illnesses and stuff like that. And he's you know not necessarily living a happy life in prison where he is now, but. Who knows what went wrong in his life to make him that way. He's definitely paying for um, his um, sins now. Um, but you definitely can't blame this on a drug addiction. You really can't. Whew. What a mess. An African-American serial killer in the state of Maryland raping elderly women. Of course this was notorious in Maryland. Now, moving right along into this episode's Unsolved Homicide. But before I do, let me just mention that like in each season before this one, there will always be an unsolved homicide that needs attention that will be discussed and profiled. Believe it or not, not every person that gets killed in, in Baltimore, or even in the state of Maryland actually, their case does not always make the news. They're, the murder, it doesn't always make media, it doesn't always get media attention. It don't always make Baltimore Sun or Murder, Inc. or nothing like that. Sometimes these cases don't make the news at all. I mean, there's no media coverage or nothing. It's more like a person gets killed, they was here one minute, and then gone the next. It's like the victim's family is just expected to just pick up the pieces and... <laughs> where they left just move on with their life like nothing ever happened and basically just hope for the best and to make matters worse in some of these cases the friends or family of the victim they actually know who killed their loved one but they don't know what to do they don't know they don't have like the proof they don't have like the information or basically they can't solve the case for the detectives because they can't bring the case they basically, they can't build a solid case that gets a person convicted. For the, you know, it's almost like you got to solve it yourselves. And they still feel stuck because they still don't know what happened and why. Well, you know what? Guess what? On this podcast, we give attention to not only high-profile, gruesome, notable homicides in Maryland, but a focus is also on unsolved homicides that may or may not have received the attention that they deserved or unsolved homicides where it seemed like nothing was done because the victim lived a certain lifestyle or whatever or they sold drugs or they did drugs or they was out tricking or whatever. it did it does not it should not matter in your personal what how the person lived i mean the last i checked none of y'all are named god seriously i mean how you gonna judge somebody else so you don't have the right to decide who lives and who dies no matter the reason the family still deserves justice. I mean, the family still deserves answers. So with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 49-year-old Yogesh Sheth. On Friday, May 1st, 2015, 49-year-old Yogesh Sheth was working in the mini market in Delhi grocery store in the 300 block of South Highland Avenue in Southeast Baltimore City. 
Yogesh's sister owned a store which had been in the community for over 25 years. Yogesh had worked there for over 25 years and everybody in the neighborhood knew and respected him. On this Friday afternoon, three men, three African-American men, and ranges and ages from maybe 18 to 22, all wearing masks, burst into the store and announced the robbery. According to articles for the Baltimore Sun, when the men when the men took a host took a customer in the store at gunpoint, Yogesh agreed to step from behind the bulletproof glass. Yes, y'all. If, if y'all don't know, in Baltimore City, most of the carryout stores, or like almost all of the stores in Baltimore, have like bulletproof glass. And this ain't because of no COVID or nothing like that. Because, like I said, this is bulletproof glass because of the robberies that Baltimore has seen. That's not a rumor. That's for real. It, like, so for all of my listeners who don't know that this is really a thing, yeah, Baltimore City does have bulletproof glass in their stores. But anyway, Yogesh didn't wait to see. He didn't want to see nobody get hurt. So he agreed to step from behind the bulletproof glass, you know, like in a robbery. When Yogesh tried to open the door, in his nervousness, the door got jammed. Then there was a struggle. Then one of the men shot Yogesh once in the head then three more times in the chest. After Yogesh was shot, witnesses reported to police that they saw the men getting a white Honda Accord. The Honda Accord had tinted windows, damaged on the front passenger side, and the car sped up the street and went north on East Avenue towards Baltimore Street. When 911 was called, Yogesh was rushed to an area hospital where he later died. Known as Joe to area residents and neighbors, who many considered the mayor of the block, Yogesh murder touched the whole community. And even though the year was 2015, one of the deadliest years Baltimore has seen, Yogesh murder still came as a shock. One customer who frequented the store all the time said people from all around came to see him. If you needed anything, he would help you. He was a gentleman. Another customer told the Baltimore Sun, I don't understand this. He would have given anything. He would have given anyone anything. I'm just bewildered. I don't know what to say. He would give people credit. While working, he'd give me credit. I'd just say, Joe, can I bring money back? I can't believe it. I'm in awe. And Yogesh's niece released a comment to the press that said, It happened so fast. We got the phone call, he was shot, and it truly is the purest form of evil. These people became part of his life. She said that her family was having a hard time dealing with Yogesh's murder. Two months after Yogesh was killed and there were no suspects arrested, Yogesh's family held a vigil in his honor. Yogesh's nephew commented at the vigil, there's two types of people in this world. There's givers and there's takers. And through and through, 100%, my uncle was a giver. He always put others first and himself a distant second. So I think that is something that everyone would echo about my uncle, is that sentiment for sure. In 2015, 
ain't even gonna lie. Baltimore City alone saw 344 homicides. And because Baltimore detectives were kept extra busy, Yogesh murder quickly got became a cold case. Got shoved under the rug. I mean, but the family never forgot. They eventually just sold the store and tried to move on with their lives. But the grief and the pain from not knowing what happened and why, that pain does not go away ever. So y'all know what I'm already about to say. Y'all already know what I'm about to kick it. You know, if you anybody have anybody any information at all or any clues that can lead to an arrest or a conviction in this unsolved homicide, please call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send them a text message at 443-902-4824. You can email them at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. Once again, those numbers are Homicide Detectives, Code Case Squad, 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also send them a text message at 443-902-4824. You can email them at homicidetips, with an S, at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. Also, for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the unedited truth of how and why I do what I do. Why I started a true crime podcast, you know... A lot of people think I just woke up one day and decided to just start writing about and talking about killers and whatnot, and, but that is hardly true. There is a full-blown method to all of this madness, and this was definitely no spur-of-the-moment gimmick type of idea or whatever. Also, be sure to pay a visit to the new website, www.MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com, and Merlin is spelled M-D-S mostnotoriousmurders.com to get immediate access to all of the episodes that have been released to date. Check out the website also for links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, the upcoming Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009-2020, and Until I Get Caught, a true story of a serial rapist in Baltimore, as well as my local bestsellers, Junkie H.U. Baltimore Story and Child of Baltimore. Be sure to tune in next week where another high profile, another bizarre, another homicide occurring in Maryland will be examined, will be profiled, and it will be discussed on Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. This has been A Savage Life Production.